Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Brought to you in part by International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, and Maine Operation Game Thief. Okay, so I'll do 10 seconds of silence because there's always noise in a room. As a matter of fact, that's why we didn't set up in the kitchen because the refrigerator's loud. So I'll do 10 seconds of silence and then I can cut out noise for the room. And uh, I'll, I'll roll right in and... I don't know when this will go on, so I won't give like an episode number or anything. But yep. um, how many years did you do, Joel? Twenty-five for the state. Okay, and I worked. Uh, I was a deputy for three. I was with the department, I guess, twenty-eight years of my deputy and full-time time. Okay, yep. and colonel for how long? Just under twelve years. Under twelve years. I was in Augusta for fourteen as a wow. captain down there. Yep. Yep. That, that's impressive, I'll tell you. That, that's 
Now, now, now I understand why you got so much done. You had, you had some time in there. Had so. some time. Yeah, time that to build a, the team. That makes a difference. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you like you say that. Build a team because that's exactly. Yep. So, but we'll get into that. Sure. So we'll give it ten seconds of silence, and I'll start rolling, and then we'll start in. So. Today on Warden's Watch, we have the privilege of having Joel Wilkinson, former colonel of the Maine Game Warden Service. Joel, whenever I say the Maine Game Warden Service, it's just every officer, wildlife officer around the country relates to being a game warden, and yet so few are named game warden services. Right. You are the only one, correct? Yeah, Vermont, I think, still has game warden, correct? Labeled, but they're fishing. You, you guys are right. Still the main yeah. game warden service, yeah, right? Yeah, it's you know it's funny. Uh, we we went. We've gone through all types of uh, mission statements and strategic objectives, and there's been discussions over the years about changing the name. They say the term game warden's limiting. People, when they think of game warden, they just think of some basic functions a warden would do. And what's interesting about it is, I said, well. All those things, the things I've always associated with a game warden, because that's what a main game warden does. So maybe we need to tell people a little more about what we do, and maybe um, that title won't be so limiting to those folks that maybe wanted to change the name. Yeah. But we're proud of it. You know, since 1880, you know, just, we just had our 140th anniversary, or 141 mm-hmm. years. We've been called main game wardens, and I know in my tenure there, uh, my entire team and myself and the commissioners were supportive of keeping that that mm-hmm. name and the recognition in the tradition that goes with that, with the state of Maine. I mean, you know, game warden in Maine is still talked at at the dinner table, especially no during deer season. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so probably in central Maine north, but, you know, I don't think people would know how to relate to some of the other titles that some of the other agencies have. So it's a brand we have, and it's a brand, and it's a name we're proud of for sure. Yeah, and I think Pennsylvania just rebranded themselves as game wardens. They did. And they actually did a study. Yeah. And they took people, and they wanted to know what they related to, and game warden was the thing that – they're, they're public related to, so sure. that's why they went to the game warden. Never had been called game wardens before officially. Sure. But took that terminology after their research, which I find fascinating. Yeah, I mean, we're still primarily a fish and game agency. We, um, you know, we're responsible for regulations on hunting and fishing, but we also do all the outdoor recreation. Mm. And Maine has such a diverse outdoor recreation community and opportunities. We've always been the people doing it. Yeah. So um, I think even people from that come from away that visit understand what a Maine game warden is if they've had an interaction with them. You know, some things we did in the last 10 years kind of opened that up for the rest of the nation too and the duties a game warden actually does. So, and, and I think nationwide we relate to the term game warden as whether you're a conservation officer, whether you're an environmental police officer, sure. we all relate to that. Hence Completely. Warden's watch. Right. And I always loved it when people say, yeah, I've never been checked by a game warden. I said, yeah, but have you ever been watched by one? Because right. if you have, you'll never know. <laughs> right. Well, a good chance they weren't doing anything wrong if they never got checked, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how did it all start for you, Joel? I mean... You got a, you had a long career, you yeah. know, twenty eight years. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that that's a good tenure. And yeah, so. yeah. We uh, I grew up uh, in a blue collar family, and uh, hunting hunting and fishing wasn't a big part of my upbringing. We worked. Uh, mm. My dad um, 
was a school teacher, worked three jobs, and also ran an excavation business. So wow. I didn't have a lot of time as a kid. I was in the gravel pits uh, working with him. Uh, I was a laborer for him. And uh, it actually all started with uh, my first girlfriend's father. And um, I actually started hunting and fishing with him and camping. And before I knew it, I was spending more time with him than I was with her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so that kind of went away, but I still stayed close with him, and uh, he really gave me the foundation of uh, hunting and fishing and good ethical outdoor activities, you know, what to do, what not to do, uh, the temptations that are out there when the fish are coming good, mm-hmm. or to not take chances or do things stupid. And uh, I just, I, I grasped onto it very early, killed my first deer at 15, I killed my first bow deer at 16. I was addicted to hunting and fishing, so naturally... I'm like, well, I'd love to have a career in the outdoor outdoor arena. I always was interested in law enforcement, so I reached out to Lieutenant Nat Barry, who actually lived in the community over from us, and told him I was interested in being a warden. And I got kind of the same line that everybody got back then. Well, there's 2,000 applicants. We usually have five to ten positions. It's a tough thing to get into, but if you really want it and you work hard, you can get it. So... Um, he made some great contacts with me and I started riding with game wardens when I was 16 years old and I rode with Chris Simmons and, Mm. uh, Albert and Dennis McIntosh and a lot of those, uh, those folks that, uh, broke a lot of ground ahead of me. I learned a lot from them. I learned how to treat people. I learned what was important, what was a good case, what wasn't such a good case. I just, I literally focused on that, put all my eggs in one basket and I went for it. It was funny at the time. The state of Maine had deputy game wardens, and you only had to be 19 to be a deputy game warden, Mm. which is really interesting if you think about the dynamics of law enforcement now and putting a gun and a badge on somebody at 19. But I went through the process, and I turned 19 in June, and I became a deputy July 1st at age 19, and I was the last 19-year-old deputy. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> um, but from there, I just uh, I spent every waking minute when I wasn't working for my dad, um, riding with the wardens. And, you know, my father talked to all of us boys. I had three brothers about taking over the family business, and he was great. He said, you need to go after and do what makes you happy. Mm. And uh, so, anyways, I went through uh, I went through the testing process. At age 20, I snuck a I snuck my uh, application in, and you had to be 21. And I said, I'm going to try it anyway. So <laughs> I snuck my application, and I actually made it all the way to the physical fitness test, which was in Castine. Uh-huh. I told the guy that I was a deputy for, I was doing, he said, hey, you go for it. You know, he loved he loved the drive I had. Yeah. And um, I showed up there, and the HR director was there checking licenses. And my name was on the paperwork. They'd missed it until I got to that stage and I got rejected and in casting and I was so defeated. I was so disappointed because that's all I wanted to do. Right. I mean, I had such a drive to want to do this job. I'd spent so much time with the guys. So they basically said no. And I went home. I was very disappointed. The wardens that were my mentors were like, oh, it'll come around again. And yeah. You know, there's 1,500, 2,000 people applying. You know, you may not have had a shot but anyways. they were all reading for you to get on it they, they to, uh, to 20 to get through the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, let's see how far this goes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it was funny. I went home and I said, I'm going to call the colonel. Bill Vernon was the colonel and Parker Tripp was the major. And I called up to the main office and I told them who I was. And I figured, well, I'm a deputy warden. I'm on a roster. They'll know who I am. They didn't have, they didn't have a clue who I was. And... Uh, <laughs> I made an appointment. I got down to the colonel's office, and the colonel was busy, so they put me in with Parker Trip, and I pled my case. Um, I said, you know, I really want this job. 
is there anything you can do? And he said, nope, but I'll tell you what, young fella, the fact that you came down, met with the colonel at age 20, and you want to do this, I think you're going to be all right. Yeah. And so at that time, they were only hiring like once a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, well, I got to get a job. What year was that, Joel? Uh, So I've been 91. 1991 mm-hmm. or yeah no no but after that I've been 92 because I became a deputy in 92 um, so it was 92 ish kind of midway so the guys I was riding with said look there's some local police departments that are hiring you should get some experience it's mm-hmm. only going to be good for you so I applied at uh, a couple PDs and I ended up getting hired full-time at Wyndham Police Department at age 20. Wow that was a tough interview because I told the chief at the time <laughs> I want to be a game warden right and he took a chance on me and uh, so I got hired with them, and I worked as a reserve for Sheriff's Department, and I, they sent me to the academy. The same guys I had tested with that I got kicked out of the aca- <laughs> kicked out of the process because I was too young were in the academy. Uh-huh. So I'm in there as a police officer going through with, you know, Jim Fahey and Glenn Annis and Mike Joy and guys like that. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I'm frothing, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to do my best to beat them at everything I can to prove. So I, get, I became very good friends with them there. Yeah. Uh, Scotty Stevens was yeah. uh, with Rangeley PD. He went on to be a trooper, then a warden for us. Um, great guy, trooper of the year, and just a tremendous mm-hmm. uh, game warden at the end of his career. And we were all bunkmates and uh, graduated from the academy, worked for Wyndham for a little while, and then the testing came up. And I remember Chief Lucen saying, I suppose you're going to leave if you get a chance. <laughs> I said, yeah, because they were happy. I, did. I worked hard. Yeah. I went through the process, and I got hired the next time around at uh, age 22. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was my first time through, and getting that call uh, at the time, they used to have the local lieutenants call the guys from their regions right. when they got a job. I remember the phone call. My wife and I had been married about a year. She was completely supportive. Nice. Uh, married my high school sweetheart, so she uh, she knew what my passion was and kind of what we were getting into because uh, she'd seen me riding with the other wardens and get got to be friendly with their wives and their their children and um it happened and we got hired and they sent us to rumford at the time they, we hadn't had a warden in rumford maine a mill town i think it had been 11 years wow yeah we had ricky mills above us we had norm lewis below us yeah but that little piece of ground in the middle um there hadn't been a warden there it was an interesting first year i was gonna say that that that's pretty rough country too oh yeah that's, yeah. that's outdoorsy oh yeah lumber cutting yeah log truck drivers wood cutters that, yeah. that that's moose country it was interesting yeah uh, and you had some icons above and below you i did with ricky mills and yeah yeah well that's that's pretty awesome because having those guys beside you i mean the, the stuff that you you probably hit the ground running to learning just being that sponge yep. so i know both those guys enjoyed the heck out of you oh, and, yeah and your drive yeah again that that drive that helps a lot i was lucky uh because I was the only one that um, had had the academy. They hired everybody. Then they are going to have a warden school. So the guys that were actually in my warden school all went through the academy together. So I was kind of a newbie because mm-hmm. I'd had my certification. I came in, and we had a class of eight or nine. Of course, I was fortunate. I had Don Gray as my sergeant. Mm. Probably the nicest man. Um, no doubt. Uh, and just an absolute gentleman to deal with in the fish and wildlife arena. Mm. And an extremely capable person that people never realize because Don, uh, well, I don't know what he was, third degree jujitsu or something. I mean, he was a capable man and a mm. strong man. and But he's just the nicest guy you ever met. That, and, that's uh, the truth. I got to uh, work under him my first year. He was my FTO. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
it was it was good yeah i mean of course I, i'm like any new warden you get hired you want to establish your name and uh i think there's a couple things that stick out in my mind i remember uh there was a local prominent family and um in the community of rumford and ricky had given me some information he says boy he says they, they do this every year and you got to get them and i ended up catching them what were they doing they were they were doing some drunk snowmobiling stuff and mm-hmm. riding on the roads and being foolish and um it wasn't a resource violation but it's something that had gone on for a long time needed to be addressed and and i remember don calling me up one day and he said well he said you know i can't go into the hardware store anymore because you've you've dealt with some of those folks because <laughs> i went in to get a sandwich the other day and they talked about you a little bit he uh. said but when I went in to get my hair cut and you dealt with him too, he says, I figured I'd better have a talk with you. <laughs> he says, you're doing just fine. Just slow down and breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I hit the ground running. We we graduated from Warden School, um, I think it was June 20th, and I caught my first and actually, believe it or not, my only footjacker of my career eight days after I graduated from Warden School. Wow. Caught a footjacker. They just, they'd already killed a doe. They had it hanging in the... Uh, in now, their residence. Were they walking out the back door or were they getting dropped off? No, nope, walking out the back door. We yeah. got a, uh, it was actually in Norm Lewis's district. Um, we got a complaint, Norm was off, and uh, it was a shots fired, which every game wouldn't get a ton of them. You have to kind of evaluate it and see if it has any merit. But I'm right out of, I'm right out mm-hmm. of wooden school. Right. You know, it's July and here I am chasing down shots fired complaints. Could be a pit party, <laughs> whatever. And uh, sure enough, I hit my truck, did everything I was told to do, and um, I sat on there around the campfire and I could hear him talking about killing deer. I'm like, no kidding. They, about three hours into it, they came across and he had a, um, I'm trying to remember what he had for a rifle. It was a, a 220 Swift, I believe. Mm. Uh, and he had a handheld Q beam with a battery hooked up with a strap. One guy had that and he had a light on his gun and they went around and they were hitting, hitting the edge of the fields and they mm. took, I saw him work the whole field and they disappeared. And I'm like, oh man, this is real. This is going to happen. So they, when they came back out through, I jumped them and uh, got inside their house and they'd had a marijuana grow and they had a, um, at the time, that was illegal. And they had a doe hanging from uh, the shower in the bathroom and they'd been, <laughs> they'd scun that up and quartered it up. And I called Don Gray, it was like three o'clock in the morning. Uh, at the time, we didn't have cameras. We didn't have cell phones. We had to call through the barracks. Uh, and we had to call our sergeants to come take pictures of our evidence. We, did, we, weren't, issued, we weren't issued phones. Imagine that. We weren't issued cameras. And I know a lot of people find that hard to believe, but we had calling cards. We had little yeah, calling yeah. cards. So anyways, Don comes down. And he goes, what you got? What do you got? You got a boating accident or ATV accident? I'm like, no, I caught a nightmare. And he's like, excuse me? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was fun. And uh, it kind of established me out of the gate. And I had some I had some ups and downs there. You know, yeah, learning you know, curves. Learning curves, yeah. Yep. But I learned from them. That was yes, the difference. Yes, that's, that's huge. Yeah, so my wife and I were there for a while. and This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store 
have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Uh, had our first child, and then we transferred up to the Forks, just south of Jackman. Yeah. yeah. I always remember, uh, I, I could see Don saying, you know, a lot. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that's unexpected. And my lieutenant, same, same error as Don. You know, he's like, every time I'm ready to, to crank your head right off, he's like, you pull a rose out of your ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Don was such a good guy, and you, you never wanted to disappoint him. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. And but you made him pretty damn proud, Kitchen and Night oh, yeah. Hunter. He was, and... he was excited. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, made the, pa- made the local paper. They had a, they had a little uh, a little clip in there about um, new new junior game warden Nabs poacher right out of the gate or something to run for times oh, or whatever. that's great. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, one of the kids' fathers, and, and that's big news in that country. Big news, yeah, big news, yeah. And that that put it, the the news out to everybody. Whoa, there's a game warden in yeah. town. <laughs> but the tough thing was, I had to call Norman the next day and told, tell him I caught a night hunter in his district. But oh. I but I did try to get a hold of him. Yeah, I did try. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was happy for me, and he yeah. was, I think he was proud of me because I'd spent time with him too. So yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then then you're off and moving again. Yeah, we went to the Forks, and uh, my wife and I and my oldest daughter, Emma, we lived at Indian Stream Township right at Harris Station Dam. Population four. <laughs> Kelly, I, and um, Emma, and then Ernie DeLuca, who ran the entire rafting community for the Kennebec River. Out of, yeah. He did the rec, uh, rec program for, at the time, it was CMP. And we rented uh, one of the little CMP houses there. We stayed up there for quite a while, and then Chris Simmons made sergeant, and Chris and Shelly and uh, Adrian, and um, I'm trying to think, um, I don't think Ellie was born yet, but they moved across the street from us. So Chris was my sergeant. He literally was my neighbor. <laughs> so the population went up to seven. Oh, my goodness. Of course, I'd rode with Chris when he was a warden, mm. and uh, we had some good years. I think that first year we worked together, we got 16 night hunters. And That's just, impressive. Just, we get a guy uh, named Kendall Judd. Um, I don't know if I'm, can I use names in this. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he was from Athens, and he was the only guy. I had no idea who Kendall Judd was. Um, he was the only guy that they had extradited from Florida on fish and game cases back to Maine. And uh, Jimmy Ross had been uh, sent down to Florida to bring this guy back. He's a bad guy. It was one Thanksgiving night, and I'll never forget it. Uh, we're having Thanksgiving dinner. The Simmonses and the Wilkinsons. Yeah, and. Uh, snowing like a bugger and chris says what do you think i want to go try to catch one i'm like yeah and the girls are lo- ladies are looking at us like come on guys it's yeah. thanksgiving yeah, and, i've seen uh, that look before <laughs> yeah yeah and i was like let's go so uh we grabbed a decoy and we went up to uh spotted I, i'd had some shots fired complaints on mm-hmm. no logging road and um we didn't even get up there it was probably i'm guessing it was close to six so it was an hour and a half or so after dark yeah and i remember it I had to jump. Chris had an old blue Ford, and I had the decoy. And, of course, it's snowing. We're leaving tracks everywhere we go. So he threw me in the back of the truck, and we went by the spot where we are going to set the decoy. And I remember tossing the decoy out of the back of the truck, and I had the head in my hand. And then I jumped out of the bed of the truck to get over the snowbank. (laughs) 
And I'm thinking, what am I doing? It's freezing. <laughs> we set it up, and of course, Chris being the supervisor, he was the wheel man in the yeah, truck. Yeah, in the truck. Yeah, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm freezing out there, and mm-hmm. I think it was an hour or so, and uh, this truck came along, and they lit they lit the deer and let it fly. I come out of the woods. They tried to take off, and the road was so uh, covered with snow and ice packed. Yeah, uh, he didn't have it in four wheel drive, so it spun. I got to the I got to the um, the shooter door, the passenger door, and I got a hold of him. And the guy kept going, and I could hear Simmons just trying to come out of the hidey hole, and he's spinning and thrashing and crashing, and got up and cut him off. And we pulled these guys out. One guy was a felon for um, uh, he was a pedophile. He was a felon. This Kendall Judd character was there, and one other guy. Kendall wasn't the shooter. Um, he was a driver, but mm-hmm. he had a shotgun right beside him. Uh, it was a 12-gauge uh, single shot, and the shooter had another gun. Had shot, and so anyways, we're processing him, and Chris is getting IDs, and I remember him coming back to the truck, and his eyes were this big. He goes, you know who this is? I'm like, nope. He goes, Kendall Judd. I'm like, don't know him. Yep. He goes, he's probably the one of the biggest guys in the state, and we caught him. And at the time, we could take uh, licenses for lifetime. Wow. And he was the first lifetime revocation under Dan Turtlelot when he was a major. They took it because this guy just, it didn't matter how many times we took his license away. He was still right. killing. We popped open uh, Kendall's 12-gauge, and he had a cut shell. Now, I'd been taught about cut shells in warden school, mm-hmm. um, and I actually saw one for the first time. And a cut shell, as you know, is they take uh, a heavy birdshot load, and then they run a... Um, a ring around the outer end so when it shoots it shoots the plastic water the thing and almost like a mini slug yeah so i i wonder often how many times and how many deer he'd killed at close mm-hmm. range doing that but yeah that was a good one we took them all the way to somerset county but anyways chris and i had a great year we had a great section great team yeah uh, it was it was the good times yeah 69 hunters is pretty yeah. dang impressive yeah, it was good yeah. yeah of course it helped having a sergeant that wanted to work as much as i did yeah yeah exactly. and was as active as chris was about mm-hmm. and excited and excited to, to go out and get these guys so and, it, and still is to this day still is to this day <laughs> i can't yeah no i mean i think he will be till he retires i, I think so too yeah. yeah yeah he's a great man yeah, yeah no doubt no doubt so. yeah but and then transforming again to uh, undercover yeah. or the investigator yeah. that, that rolls out yeah so um Kelly and I recognize that, you know, living 15 miles from the closest place to even buy a Pepsi yeah. was difficult. We needed, we, we thought we needed to transition the kids and we thought going to Greenville would be good. Mm-hmm. It's more of a community and we love Greenville. Um, we like the community. So at the time, an investigator position posted, I had four years on. I remember- That's pretty young in warden years. Very young. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I remember a couple guys saying, you know- you should be reprimanded for wasting your gas money, the state's gas money, to go take that interview. You're not going to get it. <laughs> and uh, that's all I needed, someone to challenge, yeah, give me a to, challenge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I went through, and I got hired as an investigator, and I was assigned to Greenville. I worked there, and part of that role at the time, uh, it was an overt, covert-type role. Mm-hmm. I had no experience in covert, working covert. I kind of looked like a cop, um, acted mm-hmm. like a cop. So I went through this whole transformation and and worked a number of cases. And honestly, it was um, by far the most effective tool we had at the time mm-hmm. to apprehend those people that are doing it intentionally every day. Absolutely. The challenge for me was I had a young family, and um, it was an uncomfortable. It was a scary. It was difficult. 
Um, I remember leaving Target's places after I'd stayed a week and going to the local Irvin and washing up in the sink before I went home to see my kids. You know, so it, it was, I was committed to it. I was young enough that I didn't know better, mm-hmm. but had some hairy, hairy moments. Um, we caught a lot of bad guys. Yeah. Um, Can you share some of those moments? Sure. Yeah. 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 We, uh, of course, working in that covert capacity, you take on, you assume, you assume a different identity. Yeah. The people, this particular target group we were working down on the coast um, was known for pretty much violating any law on the book, but they were known for poaching. And we were we were trying to get to a specific target and trying to get to him. We had to make contact with this other person we thought would bring us there. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem was once we made contact with his first line, they they liked me and another agent working, and they liked us so much they didn't want to share us. I think I think the number I I can't tell you specific it was, it was seventeen to eighteen illegal deer from August through November. Not a, one of them had a license. Jeez. A lot of them were felons. We killed turkeys at the time. Turkeys were very regulated in the state. We didn't mm-hmm. have the population we did. They stole uh, anything. They they were thieves. Um, I was sitting at the trailer table many nights when there was five to ten pounds of marijuana deals going down. Mm. Wow. I would leave there and there was always a, either an unmarked MDA unit or a local police officer within short order of the place. They knew they were bad people. Mm-hmm. And of course, the local warden didn't even know I was working there. Mm. The person who I knew that had the area didn't know I was working there. Right. Um, you just couldn't take that risk. No. <clears throat> they were high risk. And um, I've had them uh, put a rifle, drive in a vehicle and drive a rifle right out in front of my face and flatten a deer right in front of me while I was driving. A lot of times they were under the influence of drugs and alcohol. I was with them one night in Rockland at the Time Out Pub, and they got in a fist fight with a bunch of Coast Guard guys. I was there watching this thing happen, and the challenge of undercover work is not crossing that line, and I, I kind of snuck in and told the bouncer, call the cops ASAP. And I'll never forget, um, they're squaring off with these Coast Guard guys, and it was all over some lady singing on a karaoke machine. It's crazy, <laughs> right? I hear the sirens coming, and... Rockland PD pulls in and it's it's Blaine Bronson who I went to the academy with. Uh-huh. I'm like, this isn't good. Oh, uh-huh. he never recognized me. Broke wow. it up. They did their thing and we went on our way. But yeah, just a lot of there was a lot of drug use, a lot of alcohol use. Um, I remember the first day I landed. You know, they had head lice so bad in the house that I was trying to find a different. I was trying to figure out a different place to stay. Um, mm. It was a rough crew. At the end of the at the end of the case, it was, it was at the time. I mean, Bill Livesey was probably our best covert guy we've ever had. But at that time, it was probably one of the biggest undercover cases we had. We sent some people to prison for everything from tax evasion. Uh, We were doing Marine Patrol violations. Mm. Uh, We brought Marine Patrol into it. We had main drug enforcement. I just saw a lot of things and a side of society that I had not been exposed to in my childhood or my, you know, you may deal with them in a particular incident, uh, one of these type of people, but to actually... Um, befriend them and then right. become part of their uh, very tight-knit group. It's the ultimate, if you think about it, it's the ultimate uh, invasion of their trust they, mm-hmm. when they finally trust you. And it was an effective tool. We had plenty of predisposition to work the case. You know, it was a, legally and um, it was just a, it was a lock-tight case. But I kind of figured uh, after a number of those, I don't think I was cut out for it with the family at home. And uh, you had to change on the fly all the time. You know, I could tell my wife, I think I'll be home Thursday. And then I get into a run with them where we're making big loops, night hunting deer or whatever we're doing. 
I wouldn't get home till Saturday, and mm-hmm. I had no way of calling. We right. didn't have cell phones. Me for me, just to start stepping out and using a pay phone would be yeah suspicious. Yeah, so that became challenging. But I learned a lot. I learned how to become a way better field warden and to pass some of those skills along. I mean, some of these loops we would make, we would uh, bring shrimp totes, and we'd pick up every apple under every apple tree that we came on this loop until we got to the spot where they felt safe and that it would be a good place to shoot. And they put every single one of those apples under that one tree. Wow. So we'd make the night hunting loop, just say, you know, you did a 12-mile loop. We'd only light one spot, but we'd pick up apples all day. And guess what? Every time we lit it, there was a deer there. Wow. Yeah, and they were shooting ditch deer. Mm-hmm. You know, warden school, they train you. They shoot, and they leave, and they come back. No. They, sh- they, they shot shoot, them and they grab hot- it. And- hot load them, yep. Yep, we hot loaded a lot of deer. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was kind of the biggest case I worked. I worked a number of illegal guiding cases. Um, I got made one time from a high school. We just had our, my wife and I had, had a 20-year, or a 10-year, excuse me, 10-year reunion. I was in Lincoln. One of the kids I'd just seen walks into the restaurant when I'm with this guy, and he comes over and starts talking to me. Uh. Yeah, so that, was, that wasn't that was a good one, and that was uncomfortable. So I had a number of events like that, yeah. um, but it gave me some great skill sets. It also made me realize what was really going on, because mm-hmm. when you only work from the uniform presence, you may get them once, but working like that, we were able to really get them, hopefully make an impact. Yeah, no, yeah. you get all those cases built up and then hammer oh, yeah. them. Yep. And you're right, for uniform, <clears throat> you see from one aspect of it, and from undercover, it's just a whole different side. Well, it's funny. Roland Tilton had had a high-speed chase with these guys, um, a really, really bad high-speed chase. They kept putting a Q-beam in his face, and he'd mm. gone off the road. And this had happened three years previous, which was part of the predisposition to start this case. They told me the story verbatim as how Roland relayed it. Wow. Because they got away. Yeah. They got away. He went off into the ditch, and they got away. And um, they relayed that story. To the, to and I'm completely outside it, and I'm listening to their version. Their version, and they were both telling the truth. Mm. So Roland was happy. Marine Patrol was happy. A lot of people were happy down there when we wrapped that up. Oh, I bet. Yeah. The only thing that was a problem there is we never told the local police chief we were working, and it was a one horse town. Um, mm-hmm. He knew everything. And the day we did the takedown, I remember bringing a case report down that thick. There was some information that was provided and things I'd witnessed that could clear a couple of his local thefts and burglaries so i gave him case reports told him who i was and he's quite upset we'd never let him as a local chief know well i made the mistake of leaving my business card with my home number and uh that christmas it was the 20th of december my wife picks up the phone and it was the wife of one of the targets screaming and hollering at my wife telling my wife that they knew who i was and where, where i lived and i would pay that was a big that was a big change for me saying, you know what, it's one thing me, but when they bring my family in. Right. So uh, shortly after, I went back to the field. And that's how they got your information was through the, chief. the local chief. Yep. Yep. So probably a good thing you never brought him in to the loop letting him know I, anything. Right. Well, I brought the DA into the loop who dealt with the chief, um, mm-hmm. but uh, just a total um, horrible thing for somebody to do. Right. Um, so I never forgot that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't, to me, it, I lost a lot of respect for that individual mm-hmm. out of that. Um, but yeah, so then we made some changes and went back to the field and, um, I became a much, I think more effective game warden after knowing they never lit a field. They wouldn't light a field. Um, 
they were always looking overhead for the plane. Mm-hmm. They pointed out all the spots the wardens would park, and um, wow. after the case, you know, some of those spots were accurate. Not all of them, mm-hmm. but some of them were accurate. They were deathly afraid of the local Marine Patrol officer, and I think it was the commercial aspect of what they did, okay. and it was their livelihood. So, and I, th- you know, the officer was very aggressive and very good at what he did. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I learned a lot. You see the other side of it. Yeah, for sure. More of a thorough investigator when you're in uniform, in uniform too, because you're you understand where they're hiding things. Oh, yeah. and we yeah. caught a lot more night hunters after I, I caught a lot more night hunters with my colleagues after learning what I learned in the covert capacity in those years. Yeah, thinking out of the box of yep. the normal game warden. Yep, like like you said, they wouldn't light the field. No, nope. so and we typically. And with all this technology, Joel, that's changing this thermal imaging, that's getting more and more, sure, you know, inexpensive for people to purchase. We're seeing more and more of it. Yep. The old tactics of being a game warden are, are, are not going to work. It's different. Yep. Yeah. The skill sets you still need, because at some point in your career, the technology you're gonna, it's going to fail you, or you're not going to have it, and you still have to rely on those skill sets. But. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot a lot of deer off high boards right behind the house, um, and they would pattern those deer. They'd start feeding them out at 200 yards. Mm-hmm. And when the apples were cleaned up, they'd move the salt in and apples to 125 yards, and the deer would come in and get them. And then when they get the deer within 50 yards of the house, when the right buck was there, they'd shoot them. I mean, it's all things that I saw, and it mm-hmm. worked. It changed how we did business, at least from my section and my crew around me, for sure. Right. Yep. Right. I always, I always think of Simmons <coughs> and uh, doing the backyard decoys and. Oh man. Aaron Cross is running out there grabbing the deer and moving it. And we've done a lot uh, of that. Oh my Terry. God. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Every time I'm like, my, my hair on the back of my neck stands up when we talk about it. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I asked Aaron. I'm like, did he ever make you put on a deer suit? <laughs> <laughs> no. There was a lot of times I was deer man, especially you know getting it out and getting it set up. Yeah. I remember a case, I was a sergeant. I, after I left that job, I went to the field, I got promoted to sergeant, and I had the crown of Maine, so I supervised the uh, five or six guys in northern Maine. I'll never forget it. Uh, Ed Christie had had a, uh, and Billy Chandler had had a complaint of some guys night hunting in New Sweden. And I said, well, let's go up. We'll set up on them on their loop and see if we can get them to shoot. We got there late. It was probably 7 o'clock at night. We wanted to be there at 6.30, and we had no more put that decoy in the ground and that Trucks, lights were, cr- I mean, we saw it coming. We're like, get mm-hmm. it in, get it in, get it in. And I staked that thing down. I remember throwing the head on and thinking, boy, I hope the head's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ed and I went right to the ditch, laying between the deer and the truck. And the mm-hmm. ditch was deep enough. I felt safe he wasn't going to drive into it. But he right. pulled it in, lit it, and just unleashed. And we're literally, the headlights are here, the deer's there. And uh, Billy got stuck coming out of the hidey hole. So I come up, I finally came up out of the ditch. We had a, ended up having a chase with these guys and caught them. And one of them had come across illegally from Canada. Wow. They ditched him. He went in the woods and <clears throat> hit a tree square. He didn't have a light and ran into the tree. With, oh. He ran into the tree flat with a gun, broke the scope off, and he was laying in there with a big gash. And uh, oh. <laughs> we called Border Patrol and we wrapped them up. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of inherent risk to being a game warden. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people knew that until we started putting some of that stuff out there collectively nationwide the importance of what a game warden's job is and the risks mm-hmm. they go through right and i think it's helped the profession <clears throat> yeah no, no doubt no doubt which 
Uh, it's a little early, so we're not going to get into that because we're kind of going so. But I want to talk about Northwoods Law and getting that message out there. But yep. you you started that um, a, as a colonel, but you went from sergeant. Did you go from sergeant to colonel? No, I uh, I went. I got promoted to headquarters, uh, and I was the captain. They created a new okay. captain. New, new Hampshire right, had a captain's position, and our current colonel and major at the time always wanted one to do mm. to basically manage five programs, um, do internal investigations and run our covert unit mm. and based on my experience and i guess the skill set they felt i had right. i got that job and i moved to headquarters and my wife and i left our brand new home we built in greenville and <laughs> we went to the big city of augusta and uh, i did that for a number of years we did landowner relations whitewater um did the uc program i managed a whole other host of issues you know administratively for the colonel you know, was in charge of vehicle setups and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And they put a lot of trust in me at a young age. I was 33. Yeah. And I made cap 32, actually. And I remember my wife saying, you sure you want to do that? You seem pretty happy. I feel like I need to. Yeah. Um, and I've always been a big uh, proponent of uh, you can't complain about something if you're not willing to step up and try to make it better. And I yeah. mean that. It sounds kind of quirky, but it's true. Mm-hmm. I went down there and I did that. And I had a, my caseload was the work, I was working nonstop, but it gave me a lot of administrative skills I didn't have. And, uh, yeah, it set me up well. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Yeah. Something you brought up that I, uh, the white water thing, because you're, I think you guys are the only guys in the country that manage white water yeah. as a warden service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's out, it's a major outdoor recreational activity. It's a commercial activity in our state. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guides need to be licensed to do so. Uh, we did the testing. Um, we had one uh, specific specialist. Uh, it's a corporal now. Mm-hmm. The sign of the program from everything from launch order to troubleshooting with guides to um, dealing with pirate rafters, people that are unlicensed. Yeah. Bringing yeah, people about, to talk about launch order just so everybody knows what the launch order is. <laughs> yeah. So the way it works is when um, the whitewater industry got established, the first companies that were established and licensed. As, yeah. as whitewater outfitters and then licensed uh, their guides became the first to launch. Whitewater industry is based on the release of water. So every day you'd know when the release was. Mm-hmm. So whoever went first had guaranteed water down through, whether it was the Panab or the Kennebec or the days they were going to release Flagstaff and they'd have runs in the dead. Mm-hmm. And you would have, from time to time, outfitters trying to sneak in front of outfitters with commercial customers, and we were babysitting launch orders up there with them. But for the most part, uh, the industry is actually a great industry. And it polices itself, so to speak. It, it, it does, and uh, most of the owners are great people, and they've mm-hmm. started from scratch, and they've built wonderful businesses. And we work more alongside them. Mm-hmm. We would deal with things the way they should be dealt with in that industry. If there's issues, we'd go talk with them. You know, you got to tune this up or whatever. And we really focused on the unlicensed guides because they were bringing people down. They didn't have the proper safety gear. And, you know, every year we'd lose a few people on the river right. from time to time. And um, so, yeah, it was it was, it was was interesting for me. And, of course, I lived in the Forks. Um, mm. And that's where most of the industries were, uh, companies were based. So I knew, I knew all the big company owners from being a field warden. Right. And it, it was a good fit for me. So, nice. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's cool, and I think that's just neat that everybody knows that the main warden service does that on yeah. some serious white water, some of the best white water in the east. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's great. I'm not counting West Virginia. I'm not counting right. that eastern, but right. um, but yeah, so very, it's very cool. big to the economy, I mean. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And rafting has done nothing but grown and grown and yeah. grown, yeah. Uh, especially with COVID, uh, people going to the outside. But that probably affected people in rafts and numbers like that, I'm it sure. It did. It did. Yeah. They had a tough year when COVID mm-hmm. hit. I know that. Um, they had to get creative in how they did their business models and uh, stuff they did had to be outside, limited numbers. But it's back up and going and people yeah. are coming and um, it's the whole it's the whole package. The rafting is a four-hour trip. But um, it's the being in the main outdoors, being up there, campfires, food, and a lot of the companies offer other activities from rock climbing to biking trails and hiking trails right. and fishing on the river. And so it was kind of a all-inclusive weekend for people that just want to get away and try a little bit of everything. Yeah. And the adrenaline of white water. Oh, yeah, there fun. is nothing yeah, like it. Fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, I went from a you know a raft to a kayak, and I felt like I went from an eighteen wheeler to a sports car. Oh yeah, and just yeah, some of the best times I've ever had is in the white water, and yeah, yeah, certainly uh, adrenaline filled. Yeah, oh yeah, so, it was good. It was yeah, good, it's a good it's a good activity. And we still do it. We still regulate it. And Steve Allery is the corporal there doing that. And he's been doing it for years, and he's a good guy, and he has a great relationship with the companies, and mm-hmm. um, you know. My philosophy has always been solve things at the lowest level possible. Don't let stuff get to the legislature. If you can pull the companies together and police mm-hmm. it, and, and I think we've done a good job, and I think most of the companies would agree with that for sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Looking yep. for problems in the head, not right. Not letting them develop. So when right. you see a problem, address it right away. Yep. Yeah. Oh, no, that's great philosophy. Yep. <laughs> Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.